If you're looking for an international school that provides quality American education at an affordable price for your child, well, Excel American Academy could be just what you're looking for. This school follows the American curriculum that's aligned with Aero guidelines and US Common Core standards. It also has a unique Pioneer Town program, an experiential learning program that gives students hands-on and real-world experience. Excel American Academy is not just for US citizens, it's for everyone. Visit xaa.edu.sg to find out more. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Growing Pains podcast brought to you by Honey Kids Asia. This podcast will delve into the deeper challenges of modern parenting and provide a safe space for parents to unravel and detangle the messy and sometimes scary world of modern parenting. My name is Ange. I'm an Aussie expat who has called Singapore home for the last nine years. I'm a mum to two boys, Xavier, who is 11, and Marcel, who is nine. In this episode of the Growing Pains podcast, we're talking to Deepak Natali, Regional President and Managing Director of Special Olympics Asia Pacific, and Naraini Amin, mom of three kids. We want to learn more about parenting for children with an intellectual disability, parents' challenges, and the importance of early intervention. Enjoy. Hello, Deepak and Narini. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. So first up, Deepak, perhaps if you could tell us a little more about the Special Olympics Asia Pacific. Sure. Very nice to be here, Ranj, um, and delighted to tell you more about what we do at Special Olympics. We're an organisation, a movement really, that works with people with intellectual disabilities. That's people with an IQ below 70. These are people that tend to be marginalised. We don't tend to recognise them so much. Mm -hmm. And so we really want to give them an opportunity to explore their full potential. As, as it might suggest from the name, you know, we're, we're a sports organization first and foremost. So it's about providing play opportunity, about competition, fun, all of those things you'd, you'd really sort of associate with an organization that has um, a, a joy at the center of its work. Unfortunately, for people with intellectual disabilities, that isn't always something that they're born with the opportunity to have. They're mm. often you know, put aside, they're often made to feel a little bit as if they're not part of society or communities. Community. Mm. And, and what they what they can't do is really, uh, they don't really get a chance to express themselves. So through sport in 190 countries worldwide, 35 here in Asia Pacific, that's exactly what we're trying to do. There's so much stigma and prejudice and you alluded to that, particularly in regards to the podcast, I'm interested in talking about intellectually disabled children and then the parents of intellectually disabled children, what they face. Why is that so? And particularly here in Asia, and can it be addressed? Yeah, of course it can be addressed. I mean, mm. I think that when you're talking about intellectual disability, it's something that we do see every day, but we choose to ignore. Now, I say that because I think that the thing that we find, especially for new parents and for children themselves, they're already told from the point of diagnosis that these are the things you can't do. Now, mm. what we try and do at Special Olympics is try and get people to focus more on what they can do. So you're, you're thinking about, well, you know, you're, you're told that oh, your child might not be able to be independent. They might not be able to look after themselves. As soon as you say that to a parent, mm. 
it already turns their mind to all the things that their child won't be able to do. Mm. That leads to something which leads to low expectation because you're never going to give them the independence that they might be able to have. You're never going to be able to test them out, see how far they can go. So what we try and do through something called Young Athletes, it's a, it's a program that goes from... Well, it's, traditionally, it's been two to seven-year-olds, but we're actually starting at a, 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 a younger age than that now. We're giving parents a chance to take their children along to take part in just play activities alongside children without intellectual disabilities. Now, that's mm. really important for us. Mm. What we're trying to say is that if you expose your child to those same experiences that any other child might have, you're going to see a change in them from the outset. They're going to get a chance to say, well, this is my potential. And that parent doesn't feel so different anymore. They don't think that their child is so different. And then you've also got people around them thinking, hey, well, there's actually very little here in terms of something to be scared about or something to ignore. So all those things come to come to play, you know, and by play. That's, that's exactly what it's about. We hear a lot that early intervention is so important in terms of so many things related to children, you know, speech. and But in terms of children with disabilities, why is early intervention so important? It, it goes back to what I was just saying, you know, you know, when, when there's a diagnosis that um, a child can't do something because of a disability, they're not going to be able to learn at the same rate, that then already makes everyone around them change their behaviour. They will not have the same op- opportunity to learn, same opportunity to play, they won't have the same opportunity to socialize. So if you think about it, when we say that every child from from birth through to seven, that's like the critical learning, that's your, your cognitive and physical development, your social development, all happens in that, in that space. You stop those experiences from happening simply because of attitude, simply because of limitations someone's imposed through social values that's where we're losing out. We're losing out on potential for everybody. And that, that child's learning progression, whatever that potential might be, is already stifled. So, you, you know, all I would say is that really, you know, if we give anyone a chance to, just a, an opportunity to do the things that anyone else would do, and not really to put a, judge, a judgment on them on what they're able to achieve, but just simply give the opportunity, isn't that something that would... You know, that, that, that is something I think that we should be trying to give to any child to, to, and to any parent too, because parents themselves, you know, the experiences they go through, the things, the trials they go through in their experiences of my child not being able to do this. And I know Noreeni will talk about this too. Mm, yes. It's exactly that experience we are trying to avoid. Mm. I also think that if children are exposed to diversity in whatever form that is, you know, from a young age, then they're much more accepting, understanding. And it also, I hate the word normal, but it normalises the fact that we are all very different. Whereas I do, you do see that if you are siloed in whichever way it is, that it does, you know, narrow your perspective in terms of the world and life and, and just being more gracious and understanding of others' situations and challenges, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. The critical thing that has been um, missed here is we're not trying to just change the potential of the person with intellectual disabilities. We're talking about changing the attitude and therefore the potential of society and community as well. Um, By that, I mean, when you have everyone uh, working around developing an environment that allows everyone within it 
to contribute, then we look at a better society. Now, I say this because my, my children, they both go to an, um, an integrated school. So they have people with intellectual disabilities that they study alongside. And in that environment, actually, I've seen, and this is very little to do with me and my job. It has more yeah. to do with them and their, their environment they're in. They are a lot more patient with people. They're a lot more willing to listen to other perspectives. They might even look at strange things with the perception of, well, that's not so strange anymore. It's just the way that I can look at things differently. Now, that, that way of thinking is where I think that not only community, not just society, but business, uh, the workplace, these things are all going to be interconnected through an idea of being more inclusive. And that's the attitude I think that you're talking about. That's um, right. You know, quite recently, actually, my my younger son, he, you know, he, he was looked a bit uncomfortable as he was getting on his, on his bus to school. And he said, Dad, there's a child on the bus, you know, and I don't know whether they, they're feeling like they're really involved. And he went on to explain to me that this was something that he really felt he needed to address. Now, I don't think that comes from him feeling that he's top of the world or he has to be above anybody or anything like that. It comes from being in an environment where everyone should be included. Now, mm -hmm. I think that's the important part. And I know Noreni can talk about this a little bit more because I think when you put younger children in an environment where they're just playing with each other, they don't have any of the preconceived ideas about other people. They might just notice something's a bit different. Oh, okay, that's, that's just the way it is, but let's play anyway. Mm. If you can keep that going for as long as you can keep it going, I think that we're on to a winner. And that's the type of thing that I'm talking about. Yeah, I totally agree. So I know that the Special Olympics Asia-Pacific mission is to provide year-round sports training and athletic competition in a variety of Olympic-type sports for children and adults with intellectual disabilities. I mean, how do sports help specifically in terms of having an intellectual disability? There's just so many different facets to it. I, yes, we do sports. I mean, sports is our... I think it's about having an opportunity really to come out of uh, come out of the darkness, you know, to those those parts of society who, who are marginalised. And th this is an area that I think, um, not just sport, but, you know, music, the arts generally, can really allow people to express themselves in ways that they haven't before. Now, through Special Olympics, our primary, you know, route through that, to that is through sports. Mm. But... When you start to unpack what that person's experiencing, you realize that society hasn't allowed them to access healthcare in the same way. It hasn't allowed them to get an education in the same way. Maybe if they're, if, even if they're getting an education at all. And in, in, unfortunately, in a lot of countries, that would be the case. And then to look at other ways they can be independent through their lives, through, you know, getting a job or, or simply living a life which doesn't make them feel as if they're being persecuted or left out in any way. All of those things, they might stem from the sport, but really it's about sport being a way to just recognise where they need to go and what they need to do and how they can be channelled into the ways that they, they might actually benefit from. Now, all of these things I mentioned are really about how society treats people with intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. It's less about them. And so what we do at Special Olympics is we're saying, hey, come and see our athletes, see what they can do. Now, I, I'm the first to say, and all of us at Special Olympics would say, this is not about high-performance sport. This isn't, this isn't the Paralympics. You know, This is about looking at everyone, just getting an opportunity to 
to play first. Once you get that opportunity, what can you do? Let's celebrate that. Mm. Let's celebrate those things. And once you do that, then, you know, hang on. If they can do that, what else can they do is the question. And that then is how society becomes more accepting, allowing, you know, all aspects, the health, the education, the employment, all those things to start to flourish in their, in their own right. Mm. What can we do as a community to enhance the awareness of of this community yeah I, I think it starts with that mindset shift you know um i think that when you when you see a person with intellectual disabilities young or old but certainly as a as a parent and your child comes across a child with intellectual disabilities the first thing to do is to be accommodating to the environment in which that both those children are mm. and looking at ways to foster it doesn't have to be a friendship you're not you know we're not we're not looking at that but certainly an acceptance that people are different mm. um you know the experiences of a lot of parents is that well my child wanted to play but they didn't get a chance to play because no one would play with them mm. that i don't think is always it doesn't stem necessarily from the child i think it comes from parents reactions two yes. children that are different um, and I think that that's where we can start to have a, a significant difference and it's quite simple really you know uh, alongside that you know I think there's opportunities all the time for children to be put into environments where they can play and they can also learn from each other so the idea of you know integrated or inclusive play centers is something that I've seen a lot of. I was in Pakistan a few years ago and I it was probably one of my most profound experiences of meeting a parent who didn't have a child with intellectual disabilities, but coming along to this centre because it was it was close by to her home, and she said, "Hey, well, my children get a chance to play." Little did I realise that actually the place is being run by coaches who have an intellectual disability too. And once I came, I thought, "This is amazing." Now that mind mindset shift in itself mm. was something that was really profound, but that then spreads. And that idea that we can do that, you know, through all of us can be a part of that type of acceptance is something that I think we need to subscribe to as, as, a, as communities and society. And how about specifically in Singapore? Is there anything you would encourage? You know, we have a lot of listeners whose children don't have an intellectual disability. They may have friends. They may not know anyone at this point that has an intellectual disability well. Um, what can we do? So there's an annual festival which mm. takes place called the Play Inclusive Festival. Yes. And that's something that I think that all parents should definitely look to take their children. Just not necessarily to participate, but definitely to go and see and mm. to be a part of. There's all sorts of activities that take place in there. Young athletes, as I say, is something that they do in, at Special Olympics Singapore. And that's something certainly to explore. Um, and, and really just to put, put children in an environment where they're not going to be looking at children with intellectual disabilities differently. I do agree that finding those spaces is, is sometimes difficult. Mm -hmm. And that has a lot to do with you know, parents feeling nervous or, or a little bit frightened about how their child might be treated. So rather than looking at conscious efforts maybe all the time, it's really about how you prepare yourself for the reaction when you do on the bus, on the, you know, on the MRT and, and so on. So all those things come together and I think that that's when we get to where we want to. Now, how does the, I know that you have the Walk for Inclusion campaign. So how does that help in terms of bringing awareness? Well, funny enough, the Walk for Inclusion campaign was something we started several years ago. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's not something we're continuing in itself, but certainly it did a lot to make people understand what young athletes is about. Mm. 
It's about uh, you know parents getting a chance to let their child flourish and do that through Special Olympics and and who knows what might what their potential might be. And we can all take steps. Those it help children along with those initial steps. And that's all it was about. Mm. Simple ways of taking steps towards inclusion. As we come out of the pandemic, this is where I think. Um, we're beginning to see that a lot of our work really declined during the pandemic. We, you know, isolation. Uh, you know, the idea of being excluded or away from those that we love. And I'm sure it presented even more challenges in terms of mask wearing and all of those requirements. When- oh, exactly, exactly. And 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 actually, you know, for a lot of the people involved in special Olympics, the athletes and parents. Really, special was the one the avenue that they had to be in the community. And when you can't do sports anymore, what do you do? Um, and unfortunately, across our region, you know, we saw a ninety percent drop in outreach. We saw, uh, a, you know, an eighty percent. We've seen an eighty percent drop in coaching infrastructure. So volunteers needing to be involved in our work has all dropped radically. And I think that what it's made us realize is that we need more parents involved. We mm. need we need more people within in the community as well as the outreach out to young children so that they can start that journey into play mm. and then graduate into sport. You know, it's, it's, it's all interrelated, starting very much at that zero to seven-year-old stage where parents can start to find out exactly what their children can do, where other parents can see, hey, you know, this is something that we should all get involved in and rally around. So all of these things, I think, stem from the idea that children and families can, you know, they, they need to be a part of what we're, what we're looking to achieve in, in, in inclusion. So what else can we expect from the Special Olympics Asia-Pacific in terms of raising awareness and inclusivity going forward? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's incredible what I think the pandemic has allowed us to do. It's really allowed us to take stock of where we are. We've grown, you know, in 2003, we were, you know, we were in something like 70 countries worldwide. And as I said, we're, we're 190 countries worldwide now. And, you oh, know, wow pre-pandemic we were at something like six million athletes worldwide which is fantastic Mm. but we know that there's so many more people with intellectual disabilities we're just not able to reach so as we get back out there i think our priority is let's get more competitions going and let's get more play opportunities going and so so at the regional level you know we've started a competition calendar we're going to be focusing on several sports that we're hoping every country is going to be able to take part in we want to make sure that each country is starting young athletes and able to sustain it we're going to try and make sure that every country has coaches that can be can be on hand to actually deliver that work and use that really as the 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 lever to developing more inclusion now alongside that and i'm glad you mentioned what for inclusion you know we've been doing a lot of work to during the pandemic in particular to help people to understand that people with intellectual disabilities are no, no different really, you know, that we've all got the same sort of uh, uh, aspirations, we've all got the same sorts of challenges and fears, you know, but people with intellectual disabilities maybe have less opportunity to express them and then less opportunity really to, to meet that potential. So I'm hoping that, you know, through a lot of the work that we're doing through campaigns like Wolf Inclusion, you know, like the competitions that we're doing and through a site that we have called humanrace.asia, um, people will look to find out more about people with intellectual disabilities and, you know, how they can get involved themselves. You're listening to the Honey Kids podcast, Growing Pains. I'm your host, Ange Neo. One of the main purposes of education is to equip our children for the future. 
and this is something that Excel World Academy strongly believes in. This IB school has everything your child needs to succeed, from a world-class curriculum, highly experienced teachers, to a future-oriented approach to education. All these, coupled with a diverse and tight-knit school community, equips your child with the skills and exposure essential for the jobs of tomorrow. So check out Excel World Academy, the school of the future, at xwa.edu.sg today. Thank you, Deepak. I'm now going to pass the mic to Naraini to tell us more from a parent's perspective. Hi, Naraini. It would be great if we started with you just telling us a little about you. Okay. Um, I have three children. The eldest being 27 and Haba is the youngest. And as you can see, the age gap is so much different. How old is your youngest? Nine. Nine. Abba is nine. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, she's very pampered, especially by her brother. So don't ever touch her at all. <laughs> and tell us, I know um, your journey with Hadba has been a little different with your than with your other two children. Yeah, true. So when did you find out? I know Hadba, you know, she has Down syndrome. When was it that you found out about her condition and how did you feel? Okay, uh, I find out I have her uh, with Down syndrome when I was five months pregnant. So at that stage, I couldn't do anything. I have, I will proceed with the pregnancy. The doctor, even the gynae was telling me whether you want to have an abortion or you just want to proceed with the pregnancy. I choose, I proceed with the pregnancy. It's just that maybe for me, it's a different kind of journey that I will have to face. And my husband is also the one that, okay, we will proceed with this. Mm. Mm, so, um, I did not inform, I did not tell my family about it because I do not know how they will react or how they will accept her. Until I gave birth to her, I was still, I was so scared. I still want to inform my family, yeah, the rest the rest of the, my family. Uh, but when they come and visit, they see there is a difference. The feature is different for those babies with Down syndrome. So especially my mom, my mom was asking me how... How come she looked different? Mm. I was quite, not say scared, but I don't know how, how to tell her. Mm. She got a different granddaughter, unlike the rest. So um, I built up the courage and told her that she's a special baby with Down syndrome. At first she was, I can see that she was a bit like... Mm, a bit reluctant. So, I told her that I will accept Habba as she is and will look after her as as other kids. So, it's like, okay, my mom was like, slowly she accepted accept her. So, and from there, I told all my siblings about her and I was quite surprised actually because they accept her as she is. So they did not have any like, uh, they never differentiate between the other niece, nephew, everything. So it's like from there, my journey starts to have a, um, support from mm. the rest of my family. So, okay. And tell me, how has it been parenting Hadpa? Uh, oh, thank God. Um, Hadpa, even though she's special, but it's very easy to look after her. Um, but 
you know, there's up and down of looking after a children with disability. So it's like, when she was three months old, she have to go through a major operation. Yeah, they have to take out her cyst in the stomach. So that is a big decision that have to yeah, it's correct. Yeah, three months mm-hmm. is like, she's two too children. young. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, I don't have any choice. They, they did give me, it's either I want to wait until she's one years old or to proceed with the op now. So, um, the, doc, the, the guy also told me that, okay, if I proceed with this op, uh, the chances of heart bar, 50-50. Because she's only three months old. She don't know whether she can take it or not. So, that's a very big decision that I have to make. But I did go through that. They removed the cyst. The only thing is that the cyst does not uh, it's not inside her stomach, it's outside from her. Uh, yeah. So, mm. okay, I just go with it. Mm. And it's like five, six hours operation. And she made it. And she's healthy now. <laughs> and in terms of the way you parent Hadva, have you had to parent her very differently to how you parented your other two children? Yes. Mm. Uh, I have to like give my own two times more than the rest of my children. Mm. So sometimes the other two do get jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Because Which the is way, natural. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but then they do, as time goes by, they understand that she, Habba, need more attention than they are. So, okay. Now tell our listeners, I've certainly read about this incident, but um, but they may not have. Uh, there was the elevator incident that happened when Hadbar was three. Perhaps just tell our listeners about that incident. Hadbar is an active girl, so she's, uh, she doesn't know how to sit still. So it's like, she was like, hmm, keep fidgeting. Then there's this uh, parents with a child. So it's like, the child was asking her, what happened to her? Why is she like that? So I was like, mm, the parents, they said, surprisingly, the mom was saying that, uh, ignore her, to just... To ignore her. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, mm, it's quite sad, actually. For, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I really feel like, oh, how, could, how could you do this to my hubba? Mm. So they turned their child away, yeah, right? In yeah, that correct. Mm. And... What could, because obviously that's totally not the right thing to do in those circumstances. What do you think parents can and should do to educate their children about those with intellectual disabilities? Frankly speaking, we don't have any kind of programs where they can mix with the disabilities and the normal child. Mm. So it's like for, I find myself like, I only get to know that there is some kind of help or some kind of classes or programs, especially for children with disabilities. So it's like, maybe they are not known that there is such thing. It's like, for them, they only see the normal kids. But they never see, they never get themselves involved with children with disabilities. So it's like, mm, for... I was lucky enough that Haba... Uh, it's a boy with Down syndrome. So I get to know the rest of the kids. If, yeah, if not, I also, I was also not aware that there is a su- such program that's mm. Special Olympic and they have this very special arts. You know, I would not know about that. But maybe, 
we can like um, introduce this to outside. Uh, we have a program from every uh, estates, so get them involved before this. Of course, in first place, the child normal child will have like. Mm, should I mix with them or should I not? But this is another way of showing them that we have programs or courses for all these kind of people for for them to get involved. We definitely want yeah. integration for our yeah. children with intellectual disabilities or learning mm. challenges or or on any spectrum. And I think as parents, our role is really to just embrace. Yes, correct. And it's as we as a parents that we teach we teach our children not to differentiate. Mm-hmm. It's that every human being is the same. Mm-hmm. It's just that they are they are not disabled. It's just that they are differently able in their own ways. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Differently able. Yeah. <laughs> um, what role have, um, I mean, you talked a little about the Special Olympics Asia-Pacific, but what role has it played in yours and Hadbar's lives? Okay, for uh, for me, I get to know this Special Olympic program is through uh, her school, Rainbow Centre. As one of the teachers was introduced me to, to that program. Uh, okay, I say I will sign, sign her up for this. When I, first time when I, go over for the programs, it's like, oh, they teach these kids all kinds of sports. Even though it's not really that sports, it's just that the, the activity that they provide for them is like, oh, it's good. At least she she was, she's really interested in that. So I can see that she really enjoy the program, even though it's only for what, uh, for an hour. But mm, after the, the, after the program ends, she don't want to go home. <laughs> Yeah, she wanted to stay, so it really helped her stamina and everything. So I was, okay, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad that she. Does Hadba yeah. have a favorite sport that she enjoys the most? Yes, last time she, she, she used to like table tennis. After ah, that, yes. yeah, but her interests keep changing over time. So she's at that age as yeah, well, where so, they change okay. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And what does, I mean, what does the future hold for you and Hadba? Yeah, okay. After, I was hoping that Hadba will get into programs or sports that she really like. And from there, maybe I will support her all the way. And she, maybe she can go for the Paralympic. That's my hope. Fingers yeah, crossed. that's my hope. Yeah. And, you know, finally, Naraini, in your own words... What else can society do to help children with an intellectual disability and their parents? Well, this is a very tough, mm. yeah, tough situation where it's only that if they can change their perception to this for the children with disability, mm. I think it will change. But if the parents are still still like having this, like, oh, uh, my child is normal, your child is having this, disability don't mix then it won't change anything mm. yeah I mean if you had that elevator moment again yeah, it would be true. the parents saying oh well why don't we ask yeah. the mum yes, and engage with this little girl and yeah. everyone's different yes. and mm. let let the child play with us the children with disabilities so it's like from there they will learn how to accept them mm. as they are so yeah 
Well, Narini, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's been wonderful to learn more and also... Um, <laughs> Our listeners can't see, but I got to meet her beautiful family as well. So, and Hadbar's very, she's effervescent in her energy and cuteness. So, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to give about Hadbar. I told her that we are coming here um, to interview about her special progressive. <gasps> well, we'll have to get a picture now. <laughs> <laughs> thank sure, you sure, so sure. much. A big thank you to Deepak and Narini for joining us for today's conversation. I am now joined by our podcast producer, Suf, to chat a little about today's episode. Hey, Suf. Hi. So what did you learn or take away from today's episode, Suf? That was such a heartwarming episode, Ange. I think it's good that we had the Special Olympics Asia Pacific people come on and talk about a topic that should be discussed. Um, mm. I mean, intellectual disability is not getting enough coverage, mm. to, especially today. I mean, the thing that I took away the most was just, you know, being inclusive. Mm. And whilst as parents, we're usually very consumed with our own children, yeah. the most important thing that we can teach them is to have empathy and caring for others, particularly those that have a little bit of a tougher road in terms of being able to do all the things that they can do. That's true. Mm. So, Ange... How can parents who don't have intellectually disabled children talk to their kids about those with this? I mean, I, I'm definitely not an expert, but after after chatting with Deepak and Narini, it's as I said, like, the more that we talk to our children mm. about the fact that we're all different and we need to show kindness, compassion and patience, I think the more embracing the community will be for mm. those that are just having a, a, a very different path in terms of the way in which they're able to approach life, right. but also that there's so much we can learn from from others and from diversity of thought and, um, you know, meeting Hadbar today, she is just effervescent mm. in terms of her energy and the sunshine she brought to my day. And I'm very grateful that I had that opportunity and I really want my boys to have the opportunity to be exposed to people from all different walks of life with different challenges from different countries. And that's something that we can have here in Singapore for sure. Mm. Mm. Well, Sof, I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to our wonderful listeners and we will see you next time. <laughs>